0: Do you remember the first time that you ever knowingly did something wrong? I don't really when it comes to my childhood. I know I've done numerous things that have been wrong in my entire life. But I do remember the first time that my brother ever did something wrong. (laughs) We were... uh, Our church was around four miles from our house. And you would drive from the house... And there was a small corner grocery store. Turn left, and it would directly take you to the church. We were on the way home from the church one Sunday night. Stopped at this small grocery store. There was a, a butcher in there. It was, a, it was a unique little place that the H-E-B's and Kroger's have put out of business for whatever reason. And we walked in with our mom to pick up a few things to pack for our lunch the next day. When we walked out, my brother is in the car and you hear a rattle of a bag and he opens some Fritos. The worst chip of all chips. He opened Fritos. And my mom asked him where he got those. And he told her he had gotten them in the store. She then asked if he paid for those to which he did another thing wrong and lied to her because he had no money whatsoever as a five-year-old. My mom made him go back inside the store. We all know this walk of shame when you've done something and you go back in to have a conversation with the person at the front desk to let them know that you have stolen their bag of terrible chips. To do something wrong. To have someone who would deal with your wrongdoing. To acknowledge that you had done something that was inappropriate, unacceptable, unacceptable that you may not be forgiven for. We've been walking through the Lord's Prayer line by line, step by step, sometimes even word by word. And today we come to this phrase in Matthew chapter 6 that I don't want us to miss, where Jesus begins to point out to us in this prayer as we pray to consider wrongdoing. The, the scriptural word for it, if you're unfamiliar with the scriptures, and we're so glad you're here if you are, uh, is sin. That we would look and we would acknowledge that sin is wrong, and it is a wrongdoing that is an offense to God. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read from what will be on the screen, and then I will quote from the Lord's Prayer in the King James Version, as we've done each week in this series. But pick up with me in verse 9, if you have your Bibles, and if you don't have your Bibles, it should be on the screen. It says this, Therefore you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name name be honored as holy, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Or, and I'm going to invite you, if you are with us regularly and you're familiar, or maybe you're not even with us regularly, you're just here today. Let's say it together from the King James English, which most, most of us are really familiar with, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. power huh? and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at you. We, as we come to this text today, we see that we, as a people, we need to be delivered. And if we're going to talk about what deliverance means when we acknowledge our sin, come into realization of the fact that sin is bad and we have offended God, we have to consider what God is delivering us from when we have the conversation about this word. So we are delivered, there's three things that you'll see. We are delivered from sin by Jesus. We are delivered through his word and we're delivered by his power. We are delivered from sin through His Word by His power. And we'll see that in the text. When we get to this line in particular, lead me not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's peculiar in light of the rest of the teaching. And the reason that it seems to be peculiar is this. It's negative. There's no negative in the rest of it. This has a connotation of we don't want to do something this then forces us to take another step and ask well, why would God ever lead me to temptation from which I would have to ask him to take me away from why would a good God do that what does that even mean for me why would God move us there The word tempted or temptation is unique in the scriptures. There are three words that we use in the English language that are really come out of the exact same word. It's the idea of perasmos. And the three ways that we see that interpreted in the scripture based upon the context are this. One is tested. Tempted. Or, or, or tried. Now, tempted is one that we are that we have here, present in this text, but tested and tried, they're a little bit more similar. Let's just think for a moment as to what these things can mean for us. It's used to refer to situations when it's used as a test where individuals are facing trials and they're facing challenges. This is... What we see in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Consider it joy when you're tested. But the same word is used to talk about temptation that we would even consider as my younger brother walked in to steal Fritos that day. It's a word that means that the lure of sin has taken hold of us. We are enticed to do something that is unacceptable or wrong. It, James actually uses the exact same word, peresmos, in verses 13-15 through 15 when he says, No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. Well, how do we get to the other side of this? when we're talking about temptation and testing and trials furthermore we have to define yet another term when we have the conversation we move from temptation to God delivering us from evil that God would deliver us from evil because that causes us to have to ask the question what is evil what is affected by evil Where does evil come from? Why did evil come from there? Why is it present in this reality? And what we can miss in regard to evil is this. It sin, this sin that we're having this conversation about, it has corrupted every molecule of human existence. It's broken everything. And because it has broken everything, all of us function as broken people. And that's really hard to wrestle with because we are a people who look at the world and we say, they are wrong. Because saying they are wrong is, is basically us saying that we are right. Depending upon where you land, you, you will know that sin always belongs to them. They are sinners. Sin is Disney. Sin is the Democrats. Or if we were to flip it upside down, sin is Fox. Sin is the Republicans. Sin is a group of people that I don't don't agree with. Sin is a group of people who don't align with me. They are wrong. Sin is the Marxist if you're a capitalist. Sin is a capitalist if you're a Marxist. Sin is there. It is whoever they happen to be. There's a pastor that I follow on social media and he recently had a conversation with a congregant and it went a little bit like this. Pastor, why don't you preach on sin? Every pastor has been there at some point. Why don't you preach on sin? The reply of the pastor, well, what is your sin? I'll preach a sermon on it. The man said, no, I don't mean mean me. I want you to preach on blank. The pastor asked, is that your sin? The, The parishioner said, no, it's not my sin. The pastor then said, why do you want me to hear a sermon on someone else's sin? What are we talking about when we're having conversations about sin if we don't realize that sin is an us problem? Sin's a me problem. Sin is present in each and every one of us, and it happens to manifest in different ways. So if we're going to have a conversation about being tempted and tried and tested by sin, is there a place for us to look into the text and see what Jesus is saying to us about this very concept? What does Jesus mean to us when he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us from evil. Turn with me just a couple of pages back to Matthew chapter 4. Well, if you have been with us for a long time, a couple of years ago we started walking through the gospel of Mark and Mark hints at this interaction that we see over the first 11 verses of Matthew 4. And the summary of that idea was that Jesus is the true Israel who will deliver his people. That if we need to be delivered, that that's what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus is going to deal with all of the sin from which we need to be delivered. Uh, Matthew uh, begins to read uh, this. This is how Jesus re- is, his story is recorded. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Or to be tested, to be tried. All that we know is that when Satan gets there, he has one plan, God has another, and we will see how it works out. After he'd fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. And then the tempter, a tempter, that's Satan, he approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to turn to bread. Jesus answered, Well, it's written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the very mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city. He had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give angels orders concerning you. And they will support you with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, It is also written, Do not test the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their very splendor. And he said to them, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and you will worship me. And then Jesus said, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Serve only him. And the devil left him, and the angels came and they began to serve him. So we've been praying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You've heard it, I've heard it, we know it. If you have any church background whatsoever, you have interacted with it. Do you see any parallels with that and what takes place right there? His temptation or his testing in the wilderness is almost beat by beat with the way in which he was tempted. So Jesus is going to tell us to give us this day our daily bread. And when Jesus says that to us, we see that Satan is going to tempt him to turn stones into bread. And the way that Jesus replies to, his, to being tempted to turn stones to bread is with Scripture because God used his word to align in the hearts of his people with what we should do and how we should do that. You can't live by bread alone, Jesus realizes. Do we realize that? You can't live by all that you have in this world. The, the barn that you have built that it gets bigger and bigger. You can't live by just that. The truck that you're so satisfied with or that sweet, sweet Honda Accord that you sport around town. You can't live by these things. You can't live by what you have. Don't take for granted who God is that has given these to you. How would be your name. How do we see this, this temptation of Jesus in the wilderness going to battle with the hallowing of the name of God? Satan tempts Jesus to test God or to bring God low, which is a counterpoint to the notion of the very idea that we would hallow God's name. We as a Christian people, as those who would follow after Jesus, we hallow the name of God. We lift him high. And Satan has the audacity to say, you bring God low. He takes him to the top of the temple, as if he should be worshipped, the pinnacle of the very place. And Jesus replies in Deuteronomy six, or from Deuteronomy six, "Don't put the Lord your God to the test." When you look at the idea of us praying for the kingdom of God to come, think about what Satan tempts Jesus with in Matthew chapter four, verse ten, by offering him all the kingdoms of the world if he would just worship him. And Jesus responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 yet again. You shall worship the Lord your God and you will only, and him only shall you serve. So if you've noticed here in this very passage where Jesus is dealing with temptation, he uses the book of Deuteronomy to do so. So for every one of us who bypass it, don't. Your kingdom come. The whole thing, this whole conversation is an attempt to cause Jesus to doubt who he actually is. In his humanity, in his human condition. To doubt that he is the Messiah, the sent one of God. And Jesus is being tempted to undo all he will tell us to pray. So this is two chapters before what we've been dealing with in Matthew chapter 5, or rather chapter 6. I'm not sure if you're like me... But there are certain times, situations and scenarios will prompt me to think about something that's already happened. So when the followers of Jesus come to him and say, tell us how to pray, it's shaped, it seems, by what took place in the wilderness. We aren't sure as to the time. We just know that in that very moment, Jesus is prayed like this. Because you're going to deal with temptation and you should be asked to move away from it. It's the only negative. That God would, we would ask God to save us from the ultimate trial because it's too much for us to bear. After, you see the next verse. After the devil had finished, or rather, uh, let's keep moving. Uh, there is one thing of the Lord's Prayer seemingly left out of this temptation. But It's pivotal. Jesus seems to be alluding to everything, but there's one piece of the prayer where he doesn't mention. Satan never tries to get Jesus to ignore God's forgiveness. Because Jesus is the sinless one of God. Jesus doesn't need to be forgiven. Jesus doesn't need to be forgiven of anything. And it's because of that very truth that we are able to forgive those who would sin against us, to forgive our debtors, because Christ would take take, uh, our sin upon himself so that we could be delivered from evil. Lead me not to temptation, but deliver me from evil. Those two things are tied together because Jesus is the sinless one of God who would walk in and he would deal with the temptations that this world would throw at him. And on the other side, he would be the one who would offer deliverance for us. In Luke's account of the temptation narrative in the Gospel of Luke, he says, after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. The word there means an opportune time for just the right moment. Satan had tempted Jesus in this wilderness, but he's going to wait for a moment where he can tempt him at the perfect time. At the time that would really undo all that God would have for Jesus to do. He's departed from him for that. Well, when would that be? When would Jesus be tested and tried? To to not be what God would have him to be. When would the lure of all of the promises of this finite world meet Jesus? When do we see that in the scriptures? Satan had a lot of opportunities to undo Jesus. He attempted to do so multiple times. There are obviously other times other than this very temptation narrative where Jesus is, dealt, is dealing with, is met, met with Satan. Think about this. In the Christmas story, when you look at King Herod, he has attempted infanticide to remove Jesus from the world. In the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane, in the suffering on the cross... In all of this, Jesus faces great evil, deals with great things that would cause us to run from God. He faces the great time of trial. He sheds his blood for us. And when he shed his blood, this takes place, yes, on the cross, but we even see in that garden as Jesus processing all that's about to take place that he has sweat drops of blood in the moment. Jesus will eventually pray in the garden, let this cup pass from me. There's a trial that every one of us are going to face that we cannot overcome in and of our own power. It is the ultimate enemy. It is death. Every one of us, because of sin, will face death. Romans says it this way, the right wages of sin is death. There's no amount of of Christianity or picking yourself up and correcting your life on your own that can make death go away. There's no amount of discipline. There's no amount of Bible study. There's no amount of prayer. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no amount of generosity. There's no amount of activism. There's no amount of frustration. There is is no amount of anything that you do that will cause death to step away. If you are a video gamer, and I know I have some in the room, death is the final boss. It is a monster waiting to consume you. It is waiting to devour you. When Jesus says that we would pray, lead me not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. The actual word there for deliver is, is... Even heavier. Lead me not to temptation, but snatch me from evil. Yank me out of evil. And what we can find as we look to the scriptures and we see who this Jesus happens to be as he deals with sin is that we can see that we can be delivered from evil because Jesus was delivered to it. Lead me not to temptation. I don't want to go there. I don't want to be there. But deliver us from evil. Jesus, as one man says, faced the prowling beast who seeks to consume every good, true, and beautiful thing that God has made. Jesus faced that beast. He stared it into the jaws of death. And what happened? He allowed himself to be swallowed. He allowed himself to be torn and crushed and broken he allowed himself to be murdered one theologian says it this way Jesus was called to throw himself on the wheel of world history so that even though it crushed him it might start to turn the opposite direction as a family of faith here at grace every week we take communion we take communion in the hope that we will not take our sin for granted so when we when when jesus in the garden asked that he would not have to take the cup he was asking to be delivered in a sense I want to be delivered from, from what is about to destroy and devour me. And the answer of God the Father was no. God said no to this request of Christ in the garden. In saying no to Jesus, God said yes. Yes to those of us who have placed our trust in what Christ will do on the cross. He said yes to those of us who are far from him by saying no to his son. Jesus was broken so that you and I could be made whole. Jesus died in order for us to live. Jesus took our sin so that we would not have to take it upon ourselves. Jesus Christ is the only hope of this world and is the only hope for the next. And I invite you this morning just to pray with me. I invite you to bow your head where you are. We're going to take communion in just a few moments. And if you're a believer in this room, you are more than welcome to take of the, of the cup, to eat of the bread when we do this as a family of faith. Now, I I know we've got friends and family here. If you're here and you're not a believer this morning, one, thank you for being part of what we do this morning. We're grateful for you. I would ask that you would not come to the table, that you would not drink of the cup, that you would not eat of the wafer, because this wafer doesn't save you. This juice doesn't save you. Jesus is the only one who saves. But we do believe as Christians that there is one who there is someone that we can offer you that's better than a wafer in juice we believe that's Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected as the hope of the world Jesus the great deliverer who was delivered into sin and died in our place in order for us to live I'm going to be in the back right hand corner of the room if you would like to talk to me about that I would love to have that conversation if you but for my believing friends and family in the room I just want to hold you for a moment before I go back there Could you just interact with the Lord right now and just not take for granted all that Christ has done on your behalf? Charles Spurgeon said God is the greatest deliverer when you are under temptation he will deliver you and when you fall into it he will deliver you God is the only deliverer there is no other source of hope depend on him and depend upon him alone would we trust in Christ this morning